Genre. Welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character and a great story. I'm Jodorowsky, and joining me this week is returning guest Nicole Fryne. Welcome, Nicole. Hi, nice to be back. Very glad to have you on. And we are going to be talking about Ripley from the movie Alien. Alien is, of course, a classic 1979 sci-fi horror film written by Dan O'Bannon and directed by Ridley Scott. It stars Sigourney Weaver as Ripley, Tom Skerritt as Dallas, and John Hurt as Kane. And it tells the story of the crew of a spaceship called the Nostromo, who have an encounter with an alien predator. Not that one. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Nicole, we always ask the question of how we came to it. For me, it really is like through cultural osmosis. I knew the basic plot of everything about alien before I ever watched it. I don't think Mm -hmm. I ever actually watched it until uh, like five, five years ago, maybe 10 years ago, because I, I do have a vivid memory of it as a child, my family watching a TV edited version. Like it was, that was on broadcast television that terrified (laughs) me. And I ran from the room. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so I I didn't really have the impulse to revisit it, but through so many references and homages that exist in media, I actually kind of knew everything about it when I finally did watch it. Right. Well, I have, um, um, I'm, I'm a little bit older than you are. So I, uh, my, my experience was a little bit different. I remember when it, uh, not long after it came out being in, um, in grade school and, uh, one of my classmates had a, the, the, I don't know how else to describe it except to call it a picture book. This was the thing that sometimes they would do is they would put out a, it almost like they were an illustrated book, you know, lots of pictures from the movie. And so it told the story with, with pictures and sort of stills from the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe it was a book that was just about the movie. I don't remember exactly. What, was it possibly one of those record player accompanied books? I, I do remember those. <laughs> I don't, we had several I, of those. I don't know that they made yeah. one of those for Alien, though. <laughs> I don't. I can't swear to it. All I know is that Mike Powell in my in my class had a copy of this and brought it to school, and we were all passing it around. Like, but you had to keep it under the desk; so the teacher couldn't see because she, of course, would have been, oh my god, it, you know, things like the chestburster, etc. Um, I so I didn't actually see the movie then, but. Um, you have memories from your childhood but uh, i have mem- i have memories of seeing the book um i was too young to go see it when it actually you know when it was in the theater so i guess this must have been a couple years later it must have been maybe a book about the making of it um but i did eventually see it i want to say i saw it maybe in college well yeah and- i mean cuz this it's it's very strange to my kids when i talk about the fact that like Oh, you know, back in the day, if you didn't see it when it aired on TV or when it was mm-hmm. in the movie theater, that might be it. You might never see it. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and like they can't even wrap their heads around that <laughs> scarcity of media. Exactly. What do you mean? You couldn't just get it on streaming? <laughs> no. <laughs> and this, you know, this was before even even before Blockbuster, right? That mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, 79 so, is mm-hmm. uh pretty pretty much before the the concept of like really on-demand home viewing of any kind i'm trying to remember i don't remember when uh hbo like it was that was the cool thing that oh my god we got a movie channel you know and you had a little box that went on top of your tv and you could press the little box to you know get hbo but it was one channel of HBO and it was, it had played like, <laughs> it was still you know. whatever it was, was on is what was on. <laughs> exactly. Yes. You got the tiny little, you got the little booklet that was maybe like the four by four little booklet that had the list of what was playing each day. You know, I know so you were fine, my... firing some nostalgia memories for some listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Yes. Uh huh. And so you would, you would look at, okay, when is there a movie I want to watch? What day is it on? What time is it on? Right. So that you could try and catch it because you didn't have a way to record it. 
yet either. So, yeah. Yep. But I remember, I remember not doing well with, with alien because, because it leans horror. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's science fiction, but it leans horror and I'm not that great with horror movies. Yeah. Aliens, of course, I'm, I'm much more on board with that. Not to mention that one has Michael Biehn, who is, you know, dreamy. Uh, so, so yeah, I, I didn't see it at first because the, the pictures I had seen in the book grossed me out that I'm like, mm -hmm. Ooh, I don't know if I want to watch that. But then I saw aliens and I'm like, okay, this was good. And so then it's like, okay, I really should go back and watch the first one. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, let's uh, let's cover a little bit of trivia before we are going to break down this whole episode. So Dan O'Bannon, the writer, he said that in coming up with a script for Alien, he did not steal from anyone. He stole from everyone. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, once you start looking for the puzzle pieces of what came before and what is now present in this film, it's it becomes pretty apparent to the point that uh, once the script was in place and they were trying to find a production company, they were pitching it as Jaws in space. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and I mean, any other number of, you know, from 1950 sci-fi on to the 1970s, they, they were probably homages or references that were part of the story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Alien had mixed reviews when it came out. Uh, but it's now considered one of the most influential sci-fi films that has ever been made. Um, and I, I was looking at what some of the mixed reviews were about. Like e Roger Ebert famously kind of said, it's all right, uh, but not great. And then later like reassessed and said, you know what? There's actually quite a lot going on here. Right. That's really, really good. I, I do enjoy that part of Roger Ebert that he would go revisit films mm -hmm. uh, and, and think through them. But one of his critiques was that, when you finally see the alien, he didn't like the design. And I've got to say, I kind of agree that in this version of the Xenomorph, when you, when it's just like in the shadows and hinted at, that's far scarier than when you see, see it at the end where it's like, that is a human being. Yes. That is a <laughs> human being in a suit that's supposed to be dangling out the back of the, of yeah. the ship. Yes. Yeah. I, mm -hmm. I, I, which is similar to, I, uh, I think this happens a lot with sci-fi films that it's better to leave stuff to the imagination. Like mm -hmm. um, uh, Shyamalan's sh signs is so much better when everything is just hinted at and glitzed yes. through the cornfields. Mm -hmm. Once you see the alien in the room, it's like not scary anymore, actually. <laughs> and I, and I saw somebody post, I don't even remember what it was, but somebody posted online like that the moment in the air shaft when the alien is coming for Dallas and you kind of get light on it, and its yeah. arms are outstretched and someone pointed out that the alien is doing jazz hands <laughs> and now i can't <laughs> not think that see that, i don't mind that one at all because it's just such a quick flash i don't yeah. like you have to be looking at a still online i think mm -hmm. to really see the, yes. the jazz hands. It, it really is a jump scare yeah. uh you know in the film itself and like same with something like signs is like when you just see the alien's legs in the cornfield like that is so much scarier than the final design where it's like well that kind of just looks like a human <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. uh, there. Um, I think in some of the sequels, they m lean into more alienness about the the designs with advances in special effects and makeup and and everything. and budget. Yeah. Oh, and budget. Yes, for sure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this this was not a high budget film. <laughs> uh, it was added to the National Film Registry Registry in two thousand two. So according to law, it will be preserved for all time. <laughs> Uh, there are several more films in the Alien franchise, depending on what you want to count. And it turns out <laughs> people want to count these very differently. Oh. So there are Aliens, Alien, Aliens, Alien 3, uh, Aliens versus Predator, Aliens versus Predator, Requiem, Prometheus, Alien Covenant, and an upcoming Alien Romulus. And no one agrees on which ones of those count or not. Uh, you skipped Alien Resurrection. Oh, so, yes. Sorry. I didn't know that one. It was supposed to be in there. I think I referenced it somewhere else in my notes. Uh, <laughs> yes, there is Alien Resurrection. Like those Alien through Alien Resurrection generally yeah. are considered core Alien films. Yes. The Predator stuff and then also Prometheus. It's like, well, huh. Yeah, Prometheus and Covenant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Alien Covenant. And now with the upcoming uh, Alien Romulus, it's like, well, is this part of the Prometheus Covenant? side of things or is this part back to the core one no one really mm -hmm. knows i okay 
I'm I'm one of those people who actually liked the Alien versus Predator movie. Mm-hmm. I admit it. Now, despite the fact that I enjoy I enjoy bad cheesy movies, Alien Requiem was a bit too too bad even for me. So for me to say that the movie wasn't that great, that's a really high threshold. Okay. And I did actually I did kind of enjoy um the Prometheus and Covenant. I'm I'm not sure I like them in the sense of do I think they really work in the the overall mythos, but I don't have as much disdain for them as some other people do, I think. And uh, I mean, I, I guess the, the real point is none of that really matters. People, like, yeah. it's just there. <laughs> like, if you want to like it, like it. Exactly. I was saying that as someone who like studies franchises as part of my professional career. Like mm-hmm. part of studying franchises is realizing like, yeah, you know, it doesn't matter mm-hmm. <laughs> what, what counts mm-hmm. or what doesn't. <laughs> yep. And it can also become very gatekeepery very fast when you start exactly. to say this one counts and this one doesn't. And, yes. uh, you know, or how dare you not like that one or know that one. And mm-hmm. I'm very, I definitely frown on that aspect of fandom. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there have been many, many books, comic books, video games, and other media set in the alien universe. I'm not going to try and list them all. I'm pretty sure. Didn't DC Comics have their superheroes fight aliens at one point? Um, let's see. Who did? We had. I know that, like. There was one with like I think it was like Gen X and Wildcats. Mm-hmm. Um, fought alien the alien. Yeah. I I the think xenomorphs, I, I guess is what they're called. I feel and now I can't remember if Batman fought Alien or Predator or both. Yeah, I think he. I I have a memory of being a child and seeing a cover of him fighting Predator, and okay. thinking I'm not allowed to watch Predator. I better not read that one. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't allowed to watch Predator. As, as, as this would have been when I was like nine or ten, I think. Oh, right? okay, all right. Yeah, I suppose uh, I could understand that. Yes. Yeah, there's a lot in that film, <laughs> uh, but I'm not sure. But I, I kind of think so. But yeah, yeah, it has been licensed to different comic book companies who have done mm-hmm. things with various characters with it. All of which again fall into the that 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 probably doesn't count <laughs> pile pile of things. Right. It's like eh, if you liked it, it was fun. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Um. Let's see. Uh, oh, I guess also in the what counts, there are also many different cuts of the film that have been released on various different home media. Uh, mm-hmm. Ridley Scott does not frown on releasing special director cuts or oh, two or three. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. How many different versions of Blade Runner do we have? Oh, I don't even. Yeah, that, that one I cannot even begin to count. <laughs> and again, like studying pop culture is part of what I do with my work time. <laughs> uh there uh, let's see well, one random bit of trivia i found really scott really wanted the alien to win at the end <laughs> really? but producers vetoed the idea to the point that he wanted and i do not think this works at all with the vision of alien uh, of the xenomorph that we get in this film i don't think this would have worked and so i understand why it was vetoed or i don't know if they, they would have changed things to make it more sentient or or at least more more thinking than what we get but he wanted uh, at one point to have the alien eat Ripley in the shuttle and then record a message in Ripley's voice. Like somehow oh. eating Ripley gave the alien Ripley's voice <laughs> and a beast like broadcasting something about coming to rescue her, her. Uh, but it was oh. the alien doing it. And that's huh. how the film was going to end. Well, um, I don't think it quite works. <laughs> it would be, it would be a very different movie. And my first thought when I when you said that was, okay, if it was a foreign film, I could see one of them ending that way. It, I mean, f- I, an American film, I think American films are very invested in positive endings. That when you see like an American version of a foreign film, when they remake something, the American version always has a better spin on it. Mm-hmm. But... I don't know. Yeah, it. I don't I, know. I get, like for me, the main thing would be like the alien xenomorph that we see in this film. There's nothing that implies they have that level of consciousness that they'd be able to like formulate words and language. Mm-hmm. And they're just they're gross. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they'd have to be like rethinking a lot of things, I guess. Um, let's see. Highlighting the horror sci-fi blend, this film's movie poster had what is one of the most famous taglines, I think, in the history of cinema advertising. Mm-hmm. In space, no one can hear you scream. Yep. Which, 
we you mentioned that you had a fondness for the aliens versus predators films i did enjoy one of their movie posters taglines which said uh whoever wins we lose (laughs) (laughs) not as good as in space no one can hear you scream (laughs) right right yeah now the other thing about that tagline which is still legendary still gets talked about Mm -hmm. um it doesn't really apply to this film because <laughs> they're really not in outer space very much. <laughs> Shh, technicalities. <laughs> they're, they're in an oxygenated spaceship the entire time. Yeah, well, you know, um, they couldn't think of a good way to 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 sell. Well, in a ship in a ship this big, no one will hear you. <laughs> yes, no, it, it works. Yeah, that's it just works. not as catchy. It. Yeah, don't don't change it, but don't think about it either. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and this is my favorite bit of trivia. In 2019, a high school in New Jersey adapted the film into a very low-budget play. Yes. Ridley Scott heard about this and wrote the school, and the school scheduled an encore performance, and Sigourney Weaver showed up to attend yes. the encore performance yes. of these high school students doing a play of Alien. I heard about that, and that is a thing of beauty. I mean, I have no idea you know, how good it was or even like – I don't know, but I heard about that and I and I have to say as a theater kid, as a drama kid, I love that. And I mean, I I it makes me like Ridley Scott and Sigourney Weaver both more. Yes. <laughs> that they, yes. they they did anything about this at all. Cuz let's face it, if they if they'd written to to you know, someone at Disney and said we adapted this, Disney would have sent them a cease and desist. Oh yeah, this was before Disney bought Fox, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Isn't this Fox? This is a Fox film. That's right, because I remember somebody saying that that means that technically um, either Ripley or the Alien Queen has to be considered a Disney princess. <laughs> I, I would lean towards the Alien Queen. <laughs> just for, yeah, just for the, the humor of that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> getting, getting the Alien Queen in that in that scene in uh, Wreck It Ralph. <laughs> She's just there in the background. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, uh, <laughs> before you, we move on, you know that I mean, like that the stuff that Alien versus Predator crossover. I mean, we saw in Predator Two when Danny Glover was in the ship, he saw on the wall where they had a bunch of skulls. There was an there was a xenomorph skull there. So we saw that there was basically crossover in God. When was Predator Two? Like early nineties. It had to be in the early 90s. Yeah. yeah. So we yeah. saw it then and we still had to wait like another decade to get the Alien versus Predator movie. I mean, that had to just be like an Easter egg for fun amongst the, the crew, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I'm uh, sorry. Be... But we're getting away from the, you know, from from Predator uh... 2 is 1990. I have looked it up. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, there's no way uh, uh, at that age I was ready to read a Batman Predator comic book. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, before we run down the plot summary of uh, Alien, we want to thank you listeners for downloading this episode. If you would like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our quick casts, which are shorter monthly episodes in which we talk about the media that we've been consuming that we are not yet covering as full episodes of this podcast. And all patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. All right, on to the plot summary. And I will just say, this film is mostly vibe. (laughs) Is mostly what? Mostly vibes. Light on plot. Uh, (laughs) So I'm going to be describing what happens, and it might say, you might feel, doesn't sound too scary. I mean, I Mm -hmm. guess it could be creepy. Uh, But a lot of this is about really like the length in which Ridley Scott holds shots and the lighting of these low-budget sets uh, that makes us feel claustrophobic and terrifying. Mm, Yes. All right, so there's a spaceship called Nostromo that is on its way back to Earth. The seven-member crew are in stasis. But when the ship receives a signal, the crew are awakened early. There is a law that any distress signal or potential distress signal must be investigated. Uh, Though they haven't decoded the message, they say, oh, well, we got to go look into this. They land on a planetoid where the signal is coming from. Uh, The ship is a little bit damaged in the landing, so Ripley, Ash, and Parker and Brett are going to stay behind to do some repairs while three members of the crew, Dallas, Kane, and Lambry, uh, are going to go put on suits and go investigate the signal. And they find a massive abandoned 
alien spaceship that is, you know, they, they landed pretty close to it. Uh, and they enter it. Uh, and, but when they enter, this disrupts their communication back with their ship. Now, uh, Ripley works out that the message that was coming from the alien ship is not an SOS, but a warning. However, they can't reach the three members of the crew who have now entered this alien spaceship. There's very little discussion about this alien civilization that built this massive ship. <laughs> I will say that stood out to me. Like, I feel like there'd be more curiosity about, about this part of it. Well, they, they got a little busy once. They do. Yeah, there's know, a yeah. lot of distraction that's about to happen. So let's get to the things that distract them. Uh, do any of the... I have not watched the, all the alien films at all. Do they ever circle back to this alien civilization that had this uh, yes they do but it's in the prometheus covenant part oh so. okay mm-hmm. that feels like a plot thread that would have been picked up far sooner <laughs> <laughs> okay well uh they go all, oh all, those three people go all over the ship kane finds a bunch of egg-like things something shoots out of one of the eggs breaks through his space helmet and attaches to his face uh dallas and lambert bring kane back to the ship ripley will not open the airlock because there's protocol of a 24-hour wait period if there has been any biological contamination. Ash, however, ignores Ripley's orders and opens the airlock to let these three in. Uh, once they're in the medical bay, uh, we see that the alien is completely hugging Kane's face. This version of the alien is called the face hugger. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when Ash tries to remove it uh, by cutting it, the blood from the alien uh, is acidic and it burns through the floor, starts to drip all the way down through the ship. They're worried it's going to burn all the way through the hole. Uh, it does does stop before it reaches the hull just by uh you know using itself up a little bit <laughs> by going through several floors of the ship yes uh, later they find that the face hugger has detached from kane's face by itself uh and they go in and look around and find the creature like the face hugger's dead body kane then wakes up and uh the ship launches from the planet the crew want a meal before they enter stasis they just assume kane you're probably fine <laughs> <laughs> yep <laughs> And they want the audience to assume that too, <laughs> because as they're eating, Kane is going to collapse on the table. And in it, like is one of the most famous scenes in cinema, <laughs> I guess. Like really, I, I would say probably. Yes. It, it, it's, it's up there. It, it, like to the point that again, like decades before I actually sat and watched the film, I knew exactly what was going to happen. Once mm-hmm. the scene started, uh, he falls to the table and a small alien bursts from his chest, killing him. Uh, the alien escapes into the ship. The crew launches Kane's body out of the airlock because he might be contaminated with more alien stuff. Maybe something they should have been thinking about a little sooner. Uh, the crew <laughs> go hunt for this small alien. At first, they uh, they almost mistake a cat named Jones that's been running around the ship for the alien. Uh, Brett is out looking for the alien alone, and he sees a small molted skin uh, and holds it up and then gets attacked by a much larger creature uh, than the one that had burst out of Kane's chest. Uh, Dallas... Uh, is the captain he believes the alien is using the air ducts to travel through the ship so he makes a plan to that dallas himself is going to open the air ducts cut off all the escape routes through the air ducts by closing them and kill the alien with fire like draw it to him or find it and kill it with fire he is unsuccessful and is killed uh so ripley (laughs) is now in command and when she accesses the computer she discovers a secret order that ash received telling him to return with the alien biological specimen and consider the crew expendable. This explains why Ash opened the uh, the hatch despite Ripley's orders not to let, let them in. Uh, Ash sees that Ripley has found this and attacks Ripley. Uh, but um, then the rest of the crew come and get there in time to fight Ash off. In the fight, Ash's head is knocked clean off of his body. Yes. <laughs> they realize he is an android sent by the company secretly embedded. And, and this android was secretly embedded in the crew by the company. We're supposed to have like some major capitalist distrust of this company. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Some of, the, some of their rules and regulations here. Um, when the head gets punched off, it is also very shocking even though i knew it was gonna happen i knew this i knew one of the crew was secretly a, a robot but it's like oh well, okay that was violent mm-hmm. <laughs> uh the three remaining humans destroy ash and uh plan to self-destruct the nostromo and escape in its shuttle while gathering supplies parker and lambert are killed by the alien so now there's only ripley and the cat <laughs> she yep. initiates the 10 minute self-destruct sequence on the Nostromo, it very clearly says, you can abort this self-destruct se- sequence for the next five minutes. After five minutes, you cannot abort it. Just keep that in mind. Yes. 
Uh, so she's making her way to the shuttle. Uh, the strobo countdown is going, but then she sees the alien in the corridor between her and the shuttle, and she can't get to the shuttle. So she sprints back to abort the self-destruct, but is one second too late in getting all <laughs> everything reset. Uh, so now she only has four minutes, 59 seconds to get back to the shuttle, or she will blow up. This time, she doesn't even see the alien anywhere. As uh, she makes her way to the shuttle, she gets in it and launches just before the, the Nostromo blows up. Uh, she puts Jones the cat into a stasis pod and begins to get ready to enter hibernation. Uh, but then she spots the alien <laughs> curled up behind some pipes inside of the shuttle. Uh, she puts on a space suit and opens the airlock to suck the creature out into the vacuum of space. Uh, but the alien is gripping the edges of the door with its jazz hands and she shoots it <laughs> with a grappling gun. Uh, but then the gun gets caught in the closing airlock door. So the alien is like tethered to the shuttle but then Ripley fires the shuttle engines and incinerates the alien. She records a final log entry detailing what has happened and enters the stasis pod and renews her journey back to Earth. The end. The end, yes. Uh, All right, Nicole, this is one that you specifically asked to come on and talk about, and you said you were very surprised that we had not talked about Ripley yet. So why... Do you think, A, we should have talked about Ripley already? Which I agree. It's kind of been floating on our list forever. We just never found the right guest to come talk about it. But why did you specifically want to come talk about Ripley and Alien? Well, I think that, I mean, Ripley has now become one of the sort of classic um, science fiction movie heroines. I mean, perhaps we could just say not, not science fiction, just in general, but as a character, um, the, I mean, I'm interested in what you said about how originally he wanted the, the alien to win. Right. But instead we got this woman who won and basically, right. I mean, I saw somebody comment somewhere that, you know, um, the plot of alien is basically summed up as, no one listens to the smart woman until they're all dead and it's just her and her cat. And also the capitalistic company is willing to endanger everyone for profit. Yes. Right. <laughs> so it's 79 and we get this, uh, this strong female character and, um, and she doesn't, she's not, I mean, obviously, yes, she's in danger because they're all in danger, but even like the way she's willing to, you know, I understand, I understand something's wrong, but we have a quarantine protocol for a reason. So no, I mean, that is a very logical thing to do and to say. It's, and, it's not the, the emotional version of mm-hmm. femininity that it was often portrayed in film. And when, and then later, and she does actually confront Ash about it. She doesn't just oh, well, he overrode me. She goes down and points out when Dallas and Kane are off the ship, I'm the ranking officer. And, you know, you overstepped your bounds. Um, So, I I mean, I think it was, I think it was an interesting character. And I think also sort of coming at the time, it, it paved the way for a lot of things. And, and then the way we saw Ripley continue to grow in the other the movies, I mean, like in Aliens, and um, uh, I just think the character, I mean, it's a very interesting character, and there's, you can see, I, I would say, I think you can really sort of see her as influential on uh, succeeding decades of of other characters that we get as, as sort of strong women, you have her and then going into the eighties, you have, you have Sarah Connor, right. And sort of the two of them are kind of, I mean, I guess it sounds cheesy to call them like the grand dames of, of, the, the of science fiction. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, you're, you're definitely yeah. right that mm-hmm. these are like, have become, culturally foundational for a particular character type yes. and that is emulated mm-hmm. in media like you definitely draw a line from ripley to buffy the vampire slayer to um to and, any number of characters i mean so and even we, the we fact both... that we call oh, her oh. ripley we're mm-hmm. not sitting here talking about ellen yeah right i mean even though we do learn that that's her first name right you know she's yeah anyway 
also uh like i've been watching uh stranger things with with uh my son like he's just, he's old enough and was asking if we could watch it i definitely see like ripley to 11 there's mm-hmm. a line yes <laughs> there. and exactly. also stranger things season two with the molting demo dog finding the skin and grown mm-hmm. versions of things mm-hmm. like oh they're, they're, they were playing more with alien than i realized when i first watched that and i mean we had lambert as more of the um damsel in distress character yeah uh or at least driven by emotion right and yeah and not to mention the well what happens to lambert so yeah (laughs) um and i was gonna say you and i both uh do quite a lot of work with with comic books with uh Mm -hmm. marvel comic books and and x-men and like I knew quite a lot about alien because of X-Men comic books, even though I didn't know it when I was reading the X-Men comic <laughs> right. books, uh, like the plot of alien to a degree gets played out by Kitty pride uh, fairly early on when Chris Claremont wants to establish Kitty pride as strong female character copyright. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> he basically has an issue where she fights an alien brood, which the brood are the X-Men versions of xenomorphs, like just straight up. <laughs> they do these same things as xenomorphs implanting <laughs> eggs into people uh and and taking them over uh, pure co- pure coincidence i'm sure yes yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> uh and there's this famous issue with kitty pride who fights off a brood and kills it by firing the x-men's jet engines at it <laughs> wow that's issue. a shocking coincidence yes and uh, this, like, Claremont has been very open that he wanted the audience to view Kitty Pride as, uh, you know, a strong, independent woman. Mm-hmm. And the cultural touchstone for that in the early 80s was Ripley from Alien. Yep. Um, and, and I mean, there's a lot of other X-Men issues that also feel very similar <laughs> to this <laughs> this film. Anytime the brood show up, you're, you're going to be feeling that. Um, but yeah, it, it's because the character of Ripley is so uh, or or like the influence goes down so far. And then also like the film as a whole, you can see the influence going down. I mean, it's an interesting one in that um, like the writer is very open that like, I really wasn't doing anything new. Mm -hmm. Like I was, this is the basic plot of an Agatha Christie novel or any number of horror films. Yes. Set in space this time where instead of, you know, uh, and, it definitely leans into horror uh, as much as sci-fi in, in the feeling as you go through it all and you get one survivor at the end. Like there's any number of films that do that, but this has become now like a building block that other people pick up. And like, I'm doing alien because it put the pieces together so well mm-hmm. that it doesn't feel like it's a ripoff. It doesn't feel derivative of those other things. It feels like something new and significant. I think part of that newness and significance is choosing to cast a woman as Ripley, which the original script for almost every character that the note was, these are unisex. You can cast a male or woman, a man or woman, just find who you think will do the best job. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that in the end, they chose Sigourney Weaver, who was the least established of any of the actors or actresses uh, in the film <laughs> to, to really carry the film, uh, making her career and making, you know, the film feel very different from the action films. Uh, uh, of that era but now it is easily one of the most influential films in the last half century of hollywood films Mm -hmm. yes yes and it and it is um uh it's interesting to look at i mean you know sort of i mean if we look at it from the horror then it's like yeah okay she's the final girl but she's more complex than that Mm-hmm. I mean, she, she has, it has much more, um, they're more active in, in this than it, than I, I mean, I'm thinking of sort of horror movies around the time. I mean, if you're thinking of stuff like, you know, Halloween or, or, uh, Friday the, the 13th or, or yeah, things like that, yeah. that it's mostly about, you know, the villain is coming after people and, they're by and large either unsuspecting or trying to hide or something like that. Whereas this is, you know, more of the, okay, we have this problem. We know we have this problem and we need to address it, you know? Um, so, so it's, I think, cause I've seen that sometimes when people are like, Oh, Ripley's the original final girl. And I'm like, okay, well, first of all, no, that's Halloween. Right. But, um, <laughs> 
Um, but I mean, it, it's um, it's more than that. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. there's an agentiveness mm-hmm. to Ripley that is not. I'm just the last one who didn't get killed yet. Yes, and and I think one of the most important scenes is one that we you've already you know mentioned, like when she says no you can't get back on the ship <laughs> like i'm in charge now and we're we're, we're following both our pro- protocols and also basic logic mm-hmm. <laughs> you've yes. got an alien something that seems predatory latched to his face we're not going to bring that into our our enclosed atmosphere on the nostromo right now yep <laughs> and if they had listened to her you know <laughs> well they might not be dead but i mean yeah. you know Let's not nitpick, I suppose, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, well, well, Kane would have been dead. There was no saving Kane at that point, though. No choice was going to save him. Correct. <laughs> um, you mentioned right before we started recording that you recently went and saw this uh, in in a movie theater because you had a, a local movie theater that was showing that shows classic films. Yes, there's them. a. It's called The Egyptian. It's actually having its hundredth anniversary either oh is it this year or next year now i can't remember but i mean it's it's nearly 100 years old they're working on sort of refurbishing it um that kind of thing but yeah they show things like i've seen stuff there like i've seen you know jaws and um uh, princess bride and psycho and uh monty python the holy grail and you know, uh, sort uh, of- the, the classic uh quadruple feature right there those <laughs> those four back to back to back yes. <laughs> but this past weekend they were showing alien so of course knowing that i had this coming up i'm like oh great i get to go see it on the big screen yeah okay um i've never seen it with anyone else ever <laughs> i think every time i've watched it i've just turned it on really um, yeah <laughs> what is that communal viewing experience uh, like uh, particularly this film is geared around a few jump scares, like mm-hmm. long monotonous moments leading up to the jump scares. Yes. Uh, yes. And, and I mean, I say monotonous, but also like th- those are being used to build tension uh, mm-hmm. as you go through. But I, if we were going to put the screen time that we see the xenomorph in this film, it's got to be less than five minutes total. I would think. Yeah, I mean, I might. guess if you add the face hugger and the uh, the chest burster version, maybe all, maybe all together might be a little bit longer. But yeah, yeah. it's not 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 a lot. It's uh, well, I would say, I mean, it's a little bit different because I think the majority of people seeing it already had seen it, so they know what's coming. Right? Yes, so it's a we're gonna go we're we're going to watch this because because we we love the movie and we want to see it on the big screen. Right. right. And even um, uh, one of the volunteers there who I saw sort of locking up uh, as after the show was over, um, she was like, did you like it? And I said, I said, yeah, I've seen it, you know, and I said, but it's great to see it. And she's like, yeah, well, I've seen it, too, but it still makes me jump every time um, mm-hmm. that there's there are sort of some still some visceral reactions. And there was applause at the end. You know, people were. um it is it's a well-known and and loved film yeah <laughs> sorry i'm saying i you know to this loved film and i'm thinking about how gross and disgusting the alien was with like all the water like dripping off of it and it's oh it, it is double so jawed. gross yeah. yeah and i mean the, let's just go ahead and state that this is a film also about sexual violence with like very little sex <laughs> in it, but it is about <laughs> about sexual violence in many ways. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It. I admit the first the first time um, the first time I saw it, I didn't catch the thing with Lambert mm-hmm. until, uh, and then when I watched the second time as. As I was like, okay, now I know what's going on. And I was a little bit less like, ooh, gross, don't look. Um, then I was like, oh, oh. Yeah, I think Ridley Scott was uh, was definitely processing some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe. But I mean, I mean, this film earns its R rating with some language and then the violence. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, yeah. it's not... It's not like the lingering violence of like a, the the real like slasher porn kind of right. kind of film. Yeah, but, it's not. I mean, spit on your grave or something. But I mean, the chestburster scene is just shocking. There's no way around. Yes. <laughs> right. Well, and I uh, I re- seem to recall that they they didn't really tell the crew the the cast what exactly was going to happen 
mm-hmm. that so that they could preserve some element of of the surprise. Yeah. You know? uh, what I read was that they they'd shown them the puppet that was going to come out, and mm-hmm. I mean they 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 walked through the logistics of how they're doing the scene. You know that mm-hmm. the the actors like head. I mean it, it, the torso is all fake on the table, and he's yep. got his arms and head, and he's really squatted below the table, but trying to hold his body so it looks like he's lying on the table. Mm-hmm. And they said, okay, this puppet's going to come out, but they did not tell them anything about the blood pump that was going to spray. Yeah. Uh, and so was- uh, one of the actresses gets hit full in the face with a squirt of blood that she had no idea was coming. Mm-hmm. And they said her reaction was uh, not acting. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Because because she had not been warned uh, about that at all. Well, I got to admit, I'd be a little bit grossed out if that stuff hit me too. So, yeah. Um, But as far as uh, like for a film that really is about the horrors of sexual violence, there's not a whole lot of sexual. There's definitely some, uh, you know, a bit of uh, male gaziness at the very end with Ripley. Oh, Uh, God. Yeah. Don't give me. Okay. (laughs) And it comes out of nowhere where it's like, wait, what? Why now? Like you were so close. So close. (laughs) So close to the end of not having this. Now, okay. If we want to say. But she needs to be in her pajamas to get into the thing because they were in their pajamas pajamas? in the beginning. I will just say that my complaint about those underwear (laughs) is, is, okay, they're, they're too small. Okay, I have no problem with you want to put her in something skimpy. We've got an attractive actress. Let's put her in something skimpy. But oh my God, at least give her underwear that fit. Yeah, it's, it's like, was this the crewmates? <laughs> like, did something go wrong? Where are your underwear on the Nostromo? I mean, I'm <laughs> thinking as, as, a, as a person who has to wear clothing and underwear, <laughs> right? I'm looking at that and thinking, how did you not spend the entire movie, like, pulling at the at the string wrapped yeah. halfway up your hips? It would yeah. drive me crazy. But yeah, that's really like, really like as far as like presenting this this progressive, <laughs> strong female character really nailed it until maybe <laughs> like, like what three minutes of screen time at the end where it's like, really, <laughs> this is what we're doing here at the very end. Yeah. And then like they immediately have her get dressed again. So, it's, it's so like, OK, I can again, like I can say I can understand a bit because she was going to get in the pod and they were in their underwear and they got out of the pod. Although you notice when they were first getting up, we didn't see Ripley get up. We didn't see the women get up. Mm-hmm. I don't recall. I we saw some of the men because remember the pods were like sort of in that circle. Yeah. So I don't recall seeing the women. So okay. And again, like I said, I'm I'm I can live with that. I'm not like oh my god, she should have been wearing a bra or tank top. I don't care. Right. But oh my god, give her underwear that fit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and the, just the way the camera lingers is like, okay, yes. we're, we're, yeah. we're, we're shifting gears a bit here. Yes, uh, <laughs> it was it was all of a second, very male gazy. And, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah in, a, in a way that like, actually becomes distracting from the plot of the film. <laughs> yes, yes. And then it's like, hey, all right, and now let's shift, shift over to the alien's giant phallic head. That yeah. was so subtle. Uh-huh. so subtle yeah mm-hmm. um i will like one thing i i think is so worth praising in this is like it is like like we mentioned it, it, it's a low budget film they, they weren't given a ton to do mm-hmm. but everything just feels so tactile yes uh, it, mm-hmm. around the ship and even like the special effects like it's like oh this is a real model that was built and the light is casting shadows on it and mm-hmm. <laughs> like there's so much of it that feels so different than the shininess shininess of cgi today it that is an interesting i mean thing that um if you if you watch some of the people who do like reaction channels right of hey we go back and watch these old movies because you know we you know we were born in the 21st century and so we want to watch these old movies and by old they're like yeah from 1996 and you're like oh jeez last century <laughs> yeah i know but um it, some of them i i mean i watch a few of them uh some of them annoy me a lot but um some of them really appreciate 
the fact that these things were all done with practical effects, that this wasn't CGI, that you would have some people who would watch Alien and go, oh my God, that looks so cheesy. Is that really what they thought computers would be like today? Mm-hmm. And other people are like, oh my God, like you said, they built that thing. Yeah. That's so impressive. Like the yeah. heavy clicking of the keyboard, mm-hmm. it's nonsense for where technology is, right? <laughs> but but it feels so real <laughs> to have them <laughs> tapping these giant ka-chunk, almost like, you know, <laughs> I mean, like the like the, the old uh, credit card swipe sound <laughs> almost comes out of him typing on his keyboard. <laughs> I mean, you would think that, of course, part of me is like, you didn't think in the future we'd have better keyboards, but of course, you know, they had to it's work like, with what they had. They just went and bought keyboards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's what they did. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, I mean, like, like a lot of Ridley Scott's movies, it's visually, it's, it's visually very impressive. And I mean, I have no idea. Like if you were actually in the sets, like you look one foot out of the camera shot, like, it, is it just, nonsense but the way he like tightly frames them moving through the quarters and he gets all the steam jetting mm-hmm. and he gets the cat like the warning light spinning so that there's uh you know layers of light through all the steam jets mm-hmm. and everything yep. uh like it feels claustrophobic and uh and again like just something so tactile uh about it all well and yeah and like like we've already said like with the the alien the effects and sort of the the I mean, I don't know what else to call it other than like sliminess of it, mm-hmm. right? That it does, that it looks very, like you said, it's tactile, right? And even even Ripley, like when she's at the end and she's been, you know, she's been sweating and running back and forth and she's, um, you know, the that they look like they've been through it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and and this is true for like all the actors, like the the two engineers. I can, I mean, I can barely remember. It. It's Brett and uh, oh, who's the other engineer? Parker. Um, Parker. Mm-hmm. Like when they're when they're like down doing their grunt work, like they look like people who have been doing grunt work. <laughs> <You> <laughs> yeah. It it just looks like a hot, sweaty, awful job to have. Yep. And I I think it's also worth noting, like. Each one of these crew members, like, they actually do have distinct personalities. Like, not a ton of time is given to them, but enough either within the actor's mind's backstory was present uh, to create someone who felt fully formed, whether it is, um, you know, Dallas has kind of this weariness of being in charge (laughs) that's present. And uh, and Parker and Brett have this, like, financial concern that is definitely, like, layering in a quick little capitalist message. My favorite was when, um, you know, they're they're talking about how long it's going to take the ship and – and you know the comm isn't on and they're like how long is this going to take and one of them i don't remember how many it says but something like you know 15 to 18 hours and they get back on the comm and say 22 hours at least <laughs> i love that <laughs> and, and because it's so real because it's it's like yeah that's that's how it would how it would go right yeah mm-hmm. both i mean however you want to read it of we know something's going to go wrong and it's going to take longer than we think, or we're gaming the system trying to get paid a little more. I, yes. Both, both readings mm-hmm. work. Yep. yep. <laughs> yeah. And their, and their concern about the, the pay. I mean, it, it taught, I mean, it, at first it feels a little bit, a little irritating because it's like the first thing they bring up. Right. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, some of the other stuff, when, when you get to hear them have a few more lines, you know, like you said, they have, sort of more personality and yeah. and and they have a clear bond so that when Harry Dean Stanton, you know, gets killed, um, you know, uh Yafet Kodos is very affected by that and, you know, things like that. Yeah. Um I was just impressed that it it rarely felt like um, you know, the dialogue was there as exposition about who these people were. They mm-hmm. just felt like real people that yes. were interacting yes. with, uh, with with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I can't remember what it was. I think it was something we were, I, I was covering on this podcast recently, but like, uh, like one of the opening lines, which is like listing where I'm from <laughs> and what I'm feeling right now. <laughs> I don't think humans actually talk about, you know, anything that way. <laughs> not, not often. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, and, um, 
I, I think there's a few little choices that are just kind of interesting. Like um, the fact that when they first wake up, they all assume they're home uh, because, you know, they were in stasis. Like it's just mm-hmm. a, a little detail right. uh, that mm-hmm. that isn't a massive plot point at all, but just makes it more feel like more of a lived in universe. Mm-hmm. Um, or when. uh um, oh, there's one other little detail. I can't remember. I, I do love like there's a cat just wandering around. That feels real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Someone would have brought a cat on. Well, a ship uh, that big, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I felt like there was care given to like all the choices that are part of telling the story. Yes. Yes. And I mean, there's things that I mean, we know we learn later about Ripley when, you know, after they expand the universe or, or, you know, but um, but she's still you get a sense of who she is even Mm -hmm. without that. Like we don't know in the first one, they don't tell us that she's a mother Mm. and that's okay. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't really matter. I mean, we don't know if the rest of them, do they have families? Do they have kids? I mean, we don't know. Um, And that's okay because we get a sense of them outside of that. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I mean, it's nice that, that to have the female characters not defined by their relationships to, you know, just period period yeah <laughs> i'm like so it's just not defined by their relationships yeah, okay. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah although there's um there's there's one point where when they after the facehugger has fallen off of cane and they go in and they're sort of looking for it and it falls from the ceiling and it's ripley sort of ah, and she kind of falls on the floor and skitters backwards and dallas like sort of lunges over and lunges sort of in front of her Mm-hmm. And I know that I like some. I I saw somebody once sort of criticize that as oh they're treating her like the frail, you know, the frail woman. I'm like I don't know if it's so much that she's a woman or the fact that he's the captain. Yeah, because he's the one that's going to go through the the ducks. Like that I'm I, that I get the sense the that if 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 one of the male characters, if it had fallen one of the male characters, he would still have lunged in front of the male character to you know protect the crew. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, it, particularly when he's the one that puts himself in in the duct, which yes. I don't think an actual functioning ship would actually have the captain be the one to put themselves always in danger. That's more of a Star Trek Captain Kirk era thing. Mm, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I I don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. it's if if there was a bigger crew, maybe not. But there's mm-hmm. the crew is so small that that. Um, I know. But it serves to make him. He is he is legitimately protective of everyone. Yes, and it does make him more heroic, right? Yeah. Though, I mean, again, it's I think it is driven out of his impulse to try and save Kane. Like he knows the rule would be don't bring Kane back in, but mm-hmm. he's he's desperate to try and save his crew member. Yes. Yes. So I think I think that all tracks. Um, do and- you have? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, and, and, you know, Ripley, she's not being heartless about saying, you know, I'm not going to let you in. She's, and she's not even like, someone's like, oh, she's being all like Spock logical. And I'm like, but she's also, she's worried about everyone else, right? Like, that's what she says. If he's infected, then it could, it could affect all of us, right? That, that is a very commandery point of view mm-hmm. commandery great word great word nicole yeah okay yeah 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 you nailed it <laughs> whatever okay <laughs> um i just want to um ask ash uh being the robot yes do you think i guess like you're writing a script do you include that just for the shock of his head getting punched off? What is the full reasoning behind that? Is it just about that kind of commentary about, uh, um, you know, this capitalism at all costs, you know, the crew is completely expendable because we're going to have this alien that gets us back no matter what, uh, you know, or it gets back to us no matter what, what, what do you think about that? I think part of the reason he's the, he's the robot is because it's, I mean, it's further commentary sort of on, the you know 
it's kind of commentary on capitalism, right? But also, I mean, it is sort of commentary on um, humans that if it was a human who turned against them, you would have a different feel that it would seem, well, this person is, um, this person's evil, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, but also the idea that, that humans are, have this innate caring that, that you couldn't tell a human, the rest of the crew that you have spent all this time with are expendable, that they wouldn't follow the direction. Right. Right. Um, so I think, I think, and I'm sure there's also something about, you know, sort of capitalism will turn us all into androids eventually, or, or AI you will know. replace all human jobs, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, but it's, uh, having it as the science officer, I actually think I kind of see the influence from Star Trek in that, right? Because mm-hmm. Spock is the science officer and the one who's supposed to be extremely logical and almost, you know, clinical and detached is sort of the stereotype of Spock, even though when you watch some of the episodes, he's not really <laughs> completely, yeah. you know, emotional. Oh, no. he, he is a, uh... He's far more emotional yes. <laughs> than, I, than his mm. reputation would suggest. Yes, yes. <laughs> so I think um, it's easier to see the android as the tool of the evil corporation, right, than to yeah. have. But although, of course, there are people at the heart of the evil corporation. That sent the android. So yes. there's still people who are saying, you know, the humans but, don't. But don't what it's, I think what it's saying is that the people at the top can be are the evil one because they have been corrupted by the power, you know, power corrupts. Right. right? That so that's why it couldn't be a human. But, but then also, yes, because if they wanted to have the scene where he tries to kill her and they, you know, beat him to death. Well, if you're beating another person to death again, different type of movie. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. And it is like, as much of a jump scare as the chestburster, I think, when his head gets <laughs> ripped off. Yes, it was. That was, you know, again, sort of one of those, the the reveal things that the first time you see it, you're like, what? <laughs> yeah. Even though there's, it doesn't have, like, the gore and the viscera, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> of, uh, you know, even, like, the, the quick, like, Brett Alien Kill probably has more blood on screen for that one half second that you see any blood. Mm-hmm. Um it's still just like what in the world and like you can i it works though because you can see the crew processing like all the shock at the same time that the audience is processing all the shock Mm -hmm. yeah and i mean it's you know it's one of those things that turns out to be such a good move because then as the universe goes on and expands then you can do other things with the androids right sort of i guess what i would call you know the happy accident kind of thing Mm -hmm. yeah this was not meant to be a seed to sprout later but it turns out to be one yeah Mm -hmm. all right well nicole i've enjoyed our conversation about ripley do you have any final thoughts about this character or this movie that you want to share well i would say for the for the for the character, I I really think I mean if you haven't if you haven't seen the movie, you should. It is even if you don't like a little unsettled by gore, Alien and Aliens. Um, Aliens is widely considered to be one of the best sequels out there, mm-hmm. and um, uh, so I would say, you know, make sure to spend some time with her because, you know, great character. And the cat is adorable. <laughs> Sorry, and I have the, I have the Funko Pop, the anniversary Funko Pop of uh, of Ripley holding Jonesy. Oh, well, that's, yeah. that that is a good Funko Pop to have, yep. I think. <laughs> um, and I think if if the you know the gore is gonna uh, bother you, which completely understandable. It's also pretty apparent when a jump scare is going to happen in the next 30 seconds of the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like they, they build up the tension enough that you're like, okay, if I just close my eyes for a little bit here, I think I'm going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and it really does cut off. Uh, like it, it doesn't revel in the gore. No, it doesn't. It's, it's um, it, I guess it kind of reminds me of, uh, of sort of the, like the, 
the thing I heard Toby Hooper say about Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where he says people remember it as being this really bloody movie. And he's like, I didn't, it's not, we didn't use that much fake blood. It mm-hmm. just gets removed that way. So the gore, I mean, the gore in Alien is, is, uh, is manageable. I'm not saying it's not, but, yes. but, it, but it, it's, I, and I've never seen them, but it doesn't feel like what my impression of the Saw franchise is, for example. Oh yeah. No, Saw is much worse. Yeah. All right. Well, that is going to wrap up this episode. Thank you listeners for joining us. And thank you, Nicole, for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, for show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice. Please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We'd like to thank Scott Matthew for our theme music. Thank you again for listening. We'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. All right, Nicole, ready to talk about Ripley? Yes. In fact, I, uh, I, you know, we have an old theater in town that plays, uh, plays old movies, and so I actually went and saw it in the theater Friday night. Oh wow! Okay, yeah. well, let's save that for, okay. for the podcast. Yes. We'll we'll talk about that. <laughs>